Welcome to episode 16 of the Wealth and Law podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and as usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Brent? Doing pretty well. We continue to take walks. They continue to be later and later in the evening because it's, it's one degree higher than um, the pits of hell right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're just moving everything back into the evening. And that just means we're out there with all the critters and we're seeing them all. We saw, uh, we saw a snake, t- a rattlesnake tonight and a bobcat. Oh gosh. In, in, uh, in the span of like a 15 minute walk. It was, it was like going to the desert museum. Uh, see, that's no, this is why I don't leave my house again. This is why I don't leave my house, especially when it comes to sundown. No, no, no. that's, that's their time. I'm not going out there. That's I, you are brave. You are very brave. I can report it is their time. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's like going to the desert museum, but they're not in cages. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's different. We saw the rattlesnake first. It was sort of just like laying out near the little trail that we were walking on. So we, walked past it gingerly and just kind of left it to its own devices. And then, and then we saw the bobcat and there was like this little kind of alleyway with, there was a wall and the trail goes right by this big wall. And it's like this canopy trees are kind of hanging over mesquite trees kind of hang over the trail. And it was at the end of that. And that's when we decided maybe we're going to go a different way. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I know under normal circumstances, the bobcat will just run away from us, but I don't want to tempt it. So that's what, that's what we did. Cowardly, we went a different direction. <laughs> I think that's what most people would do. They're, they're a lot bigger in person. They are, they are really big cats. They're not small. Every time I've seen one, I've been like, that's a strange dog. Yeah, yeah. You would th- I've seen bobcats that are bigger than coyotes in our neighborhood. It's, yeah, they're no joke. Yeah, they are. They're really cool. Uh, we have a, so the back, our backyard we'll do a podcast i promise but uh our backyard drops off like 10 feet and it's just a brick wall 10 feet high brick wall and bobcats we've seen them jump from from behind jump up to the top of the wall oh my gosh yeah they're insane that's why we don't have uh small animals that's why we can't have farm animals because they would not last yeah no it's yeah it's a bit more scary in the desert with that for sure so I'll tell you sometime, this is maybe not podcast appropriate, but remind me, I'll tell you about my sister and her chickens. Oh gosh. I know this is not going to have a good ending. Yeah, I can tell this is not going to be a good ending. Yeah. The chickens are not the party that makes out well in this oh. All right. <laughs> so I thought considering two things, really, number one, that you and I basically work for a tech company that happens to be a law firm and that everybody in the world is experiencing this somewhat uh, unique technological experience, at least work-wise because of all of the COVID-19 shutdowns that we could talk about that. And so I also then concluded that the best person to talk to about that is Allison Duffy. Allison is the owner and president of Silverado Technologies. They do all sorts and varieties of business IT and support. And Allison, I just can't thank you enough for joining us. Thanks for having me. How's it going? We're doing well. Other than uh, other than the scary critters that I keep seeing, I'm I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and I and I kid you not, five minutes before we started talking, there was a good chance there were going to be children involved in this on my side of things. But I, we kind of got that tied in a bow just in time. There's always a chance that one of mine will show up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just roll with it if it happens. <laughs> did it, did I adequately describe what it is that Silverado does? Because I'm sure I've butchered it more than once. Yes, we are a full service IT company providing primarily managed IT support for small and mid-sized businesses. And we can support both on-premise technology as well as cloud software and cloud infrastructures. Nice. So both then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when did you start with Silverado? When did you acquire it? I guess, cause you're the owner. So just so people kind of get the background. I've been in this industry for about seven years and I started with an acquisition of an existing company and did two additional acquisitions after that. The third was Silverado. And at the time Silverado had the best name recognition and reputation in town. So we 
changed the name of the company. We um, did uh, all the business under the Silverado name. And so that was uh, about three and a half years ago. We've been Silverado since then, but in, uh, in all, the companies that I have acquired have been in Tucson for over 100 years. Wow. That's impressive, especially considering they do IT. Right, right. The, the original company that I acquired back in 2013 called Sassadex. I'm not sure if many people would recognize that name, but I'm sure a lot of native Tucsonans have heard of it. It was at one time the largest and best known typewriter service and sales company in all of Arizona. And uh, the previous owner told me that at one point he had 30 um, typewriter salesmen hitting the streets. So it's a really cool piece of history that over time he adapted and changed to technology and added in printers and copiers and eventually computers and servers and network infrastructure. That's incredible. Wow. I, I have to say that until those words came out of your mouth, I never gave it any thought about how typewriters were sold. Um, in the back of a Buick, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or used or serviced, pretty much. I didn't think about it at all. <laughs> but, well, I was thinking, if this makes sense to you or Rachel or both of you, that we would maybe talk a little bit about what you're experiencing in terms of changes in businesses, somewhat overall, but maybe maybe focused a little bit on kind of like the IT and the technology and kind of the workforce, and maybe on both sides of it, you know, like uh, what what's happened, what's changed for employers, what's changed for employees, that sort of thing, and then maybe talk about if a business started start a new business startup today, what you think would be different about that business than say three months ago which is almost hard to believe that that's the case, but I think there probably would be a difference. And then maybe talk a little bit about security and security issues, access being some, you know, sort of a corollary to security. Cause I think anybody who's dealing in technology um, security is basically the thing, right? If you have technology that no security, then it's not really useful technology for most businesses who have proprietary ways of doing things. Um, and then talk about, once you have all of this stuff, then how do you, and maybe this isn't a how to you, maybe one thing comes before the other, but then how do you, in essence, implement it with your team? How do you get your team engaged with it and up to speed on how to use it and trained? Does that make sense? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sounds like a plan. So then I guess, let me just ask you up front, then what, what changes overall macro micro are you seeing now from say three months ago? It's definitely a philosophical shift on how employers and employees are viewing where they do their work. It used to be, especially in a more traditional city, I think a lot of our bigger cities, LA, New York, San Francisco, they have bigger firms and they're used to more of a mobile or diffused workforce They've been doing that for a number of years already. Uh, More traditional cities, smaller towns, it's more relationship-based. Everybody's got to be in the office. Everyone has to be seeing each other in person on a regular basis. So this, in my opinion, this shift would have taken many more years to happen unless we were all forced, as we were, to work from home, work remotely. So the way that I have seen it shift with our clients and our, the businesses that we work with and my own business is I really, I had a, a number of employees who I thought they, they can never work from home. They can never be productive. Um, but when you have to, you know, over that short period of um, you know, being flexible with everyone kind of dealing with the new normal and their kids being home and, the emotional toll that the uncertainty took on on all of us. Um, once we got over that few weeks and got used to the new normal of working remotely, as long as you judge productivity the same way that you were judging it before, then we can really achieve so much more than we thought we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because you're you know you're coming at it 
from obviously you're seeing both sides of it. Sorry, I, you know, not to devalue anything here, but you know, you're coming at it as an employer. Like you're you're an employer who it sounds like was forced to go from an office based employment setting to a distributive model like everybody else. Like I'm assuming a lot of your clients. Yes. And some of course are better prepared than others. So our environment is set up for redundancy. We can't convince anyone to do something that we're not doing ourselves or something that we're not even convinced is valuable enough to do in our own business. So we have redundancies upon redundancies built in and at a moment's notice, we can flip a switch and, and the backup of the backup is available. Right. So for us, the shift was fairly seamless. We also had an unplanned uh, event last fall. We had an office flood. And so we had a little bit of a, we had a little bit of a dress rehearsal in a way that it was everybody pick up your docking stations and your monitors and put them in your cars because we have to rip up the entire office and repair from the flood. So we had done it once and tested that it worked. So when it was mid-March, when the schools here in Arizona were closed officially, we decided that that was a good indicator for us also to send our workforce home. And we did the same thing. Everybody grab your docking station, grab your monitors, anything else you think you might need, and let us know if if it doesn't work when you get home, when you get home and it was it was really seamless some of our clients were not as prepared and no matter how many conversations you have about planning uh, it's usually a lower priority so again it's a you know it's a positive in a way the glass half full is that now those conversations are happening and employers are really thinking and talking about what's going to happen the next time it's interesting you mentioned productivity actually i I want to ask this question to you and I want to ask it to Rachel. So I'm going to tee it up for both of you here. So, um, because I think that I've heard a lot of people say, employers say, well, either something uh, along the lines of what you said, I never thought people could be productive working from home or say our people are not as productive working from home. So I'm kind of interested in, you know, drilling down on that a little bit. And then the, the Rachel tee it up pieces, you know, Rachel and I, both changed from very traditional white shoe law firm to this basically tech firm distributive model. So I'm curious from her perspective as the employee, the, the worker, you know, whether she perceives herself being more productive one way or the other. So maybe, maybe Allison go first and then uh, curious to hear what Rachel has to say. So some of my business friends, uh, some business owners who I know and work with have asked me, is your workforce as productive and how do you know? And again, we're, we're lucky that we were prepared for this and we're lucky that we're in the type of business that we measure productivity very carefully and often. Every member of our team enters their time, similar to how an attorney or a CPA would enter a time by the minute on what you're working on. And so that hasn't changed. And so for us, it doesn't matter where you're doing that work. It's still happening. And it's very easy to see if it's not happening. I completely agree, Allison. Yeah, Brent, from going to a traditional firm to you know our virtual firm, honestly, I think it's more productive to be at home. Um, even, you know, working at a traditional firm, you kind of still work a lot from home anyways, you know, there's a lot of after hours during, on the weekends. And so, um, I feel like if you had a laptop, you know, you work on your laptop for me, I already had the desktop. I already had the docking system set up. So then switching over to the virtual firm was way better. And I think, you know, for some people, it may not work. Some people absolutely love a more traditional environment where they go into an office and see faces. I think, you know, with the technology these days with virtual um, or with video conferences, you still can get that face-to-face -face interaction, but you can do it more in your time. And because of that, I feel like you are a little bit more, you are more productive because you can kind of play your strengths. So for example, I'm very much a morning person. So for me, I can wake up 6 a.m., the coffee pot started up, the computer started up. By 6 a.m., I'm billing, I'm working away. 
And then when it comes to the afternoon where I start slowing down, getting tired, I've gotten everything I really wanted to do done and it's all right. I could take a little break, do an hour of yoga just to kind of refresh and then get back on it. And then even, you know, with some of the distractions, I know, you know, a lot of people have children at home and that definitely can be um, a big distraction and it can be hard for some people. But I think kind of seeing a little bit of both, seeing, being able to kind of have the comfort of your own home, being able to see your families, but then knowing that you still have to get X, Y, and Z done. It kind of just, for, for me personally, it teaches me more how to balance it all. And I think it's just, you've got that more work-life balance at home. And so I think this definitely, you know, this switch with for all the companies right now is kind of teaching a lot of employees that either that they do love the work from home life, or maybe it isn't for them, or maybe they should do it less and, you know, maybe do like a 50-50 balance between the office and home. Interestingly, I think, I think before this force, right, where everybody was forced into a distributive model for the most part. What I was hearing was that em- employers were kind of anticipating that, well, hey, as as uh, millennials, you know, there's more younger people, millennials, Gen Z are coming into the workforce. They have a different expectation about how they're supposed to be able to work. And, you know, as they age up in organizations, they're going to change the organizations. But I have heard from younger people without families who went from a traditional office environment to now a virtual work from home environment that they actually don't like working from home because they get bored and they get lonely. So I've been surprised to hear that. I guess intuitively I should have known, but I've been a little bit surprised to hear that, that working up, work, have to work from home and sort of the isolation, maybe it's more the quarantine, the isolation, but that isolation of working from home has been hard on those folks who are maybe technologically speaking, were the best suited for that work environment. I have heard that from a bunch of my friends who, um, you know, are in the legal field that for them, you know, if, if they don't have kids, they don't have pets, it's just them and Netflix. And Netflix is kind of being their best bud right now, but they're kind of really bored of Netflix at this point. So I definitely understand that. I think it's at that point, it's really trying to schedule those virtual happy hours, those virtual coffee, just so you can get that face-to-face interaction that we all still yearn and really want at the end of the day. And there's something to be said for the community or the rising tide raises all boats because if I'm at home and I want to exercise, I'm much more likely to put my all into a Zoom workout class where the teacher can see me versus watching a video that's already pre-recorded. So I think the same thing could apply to working from home. If you're home and no one else is there and you're not necessarily the most motivated worker, you're probably more likely to get a lot more done if you see other people around you really working hard and kind of being being a busy office, traditional office worker uh, rather than it's you and, and your dog and the tempting the temptation of the, the kitchen and the snacks and maybe talking to your roommate. How, how Allison, how have you then tried to kind of maintain that that community and that communication within your organization? during the quarantine? We've tried to maintain the culture as much as possible. So every Friday we get together at 4.30 and spend the last half hour of the week socializing as a team. So we've continued that virtually. We use Microsoft Teams. So every Friday at 4.30, everybody gets together and we have had a few people come back to the office. And so those people will set up socially distant from each other, but also together and with the people that are on teams and sometimes we'll play games or we'll share stories and the same types of things that we would do at the office doing them on online and we've had a few ideas come through to in between those times to stay connected so every week there's a day chosen that it'll be crazy sock day and everyone posts a picture of their crazy socks or hat day, which is something we would never be allowed to do. We could never wear hats if we were all at the office and going to see clients. So it's extra fun to do. And we've also changed the dress code so that if you're in the office at a client site or at home, 
it's casual Friday every day. So adding in those little perks make the joy come back to people that may be feeling isolated or depressed or you know frustrated with whatever their family is doing or what their kids are not doing their homework or driving them crazy on on zoom calls um so reminding them that we are still all connected yeah i think that's really good so we use we use teams as well i don't know if we're quite as organized on social events but you know rachel and i talk all the time uh, cuz we work together and we're we're doing stuff every single day we use teams a lot usually when i talk to rachel I'll only use Teams. I'll either call her or I'll text her through through Teams. I won't use our phone system, which is also an app. But so it's like we've used it a ton. And I like what I really like about Teams is the ability of if she and I get on a just a, a call, a, a voice call on Teams, and then say I need to share a document with her, I can do it straight through Teams. It's really easy. Vice versa works. If I need to share my screen with her, it's seamless like it happens immediately if we need to flip the video on i just you know hit a button all of a sudden we're straight into a video conference so like all that stuff i think is really great for us in terms of our communication and then the firm every every two weeks has a full and the firm is spread our firm is spread out like over the globe so every two weeks they have a entire firm attorney virtual meeting where everybody gets on that can and they start out by giving thank yous you know people virtually raise their hand and they'll say, you know, thank, thanks to Bob because Bob helped me on this thing last week and it was really great and he was really responsive. So thanks so much for that. And they'll go to the next person. They'll kind of go through that stuff. Then they'll do firm business and, you know, maybe we'll, somebody will present on some topic. So there, you know, there's a constant effort that even though everybody's distributed over a, a vast geographical range, there's a constant effort to connect people and to have a technology platform that allows you to connect instantaneously. And I think that's if you're going to have a distributive workforce, that's the key. Otherwise, it's too isolating. It's just way too isolating, unless you love that. But I don't know a lot of people that do. I agree. And I think, Brent, too, and Allison, you brought up a good point of just culture. You know, that's the biggest thing about going into the office every day. You have this um, work culture, your, your team culture, and everyone thrives on that, right? You, you thrive off other people's and how they feel for the day, um, you know, what, what events you've got coming up. And I think that you know, even virtually, you can still keep that up. Like you're saying, crazy sock day, like that's awesome. And, you know, having, keeping the, the weekly meetings or the bi-weekly meetings that you have, having lunch with each other. Our firm also has different platforms where like people can just post pictures of their pet and you could just go to this website and just see pictures. And so there's a way that you could still interact with everyone and have that human connection, even though we're all just kind of stuck at our homes at the same time. Yeah, you just reminded me, we started a gardening chat group in our teams. We have teams for different things. We have one that's called Possum Pets and all different, and you can follow them or not if that's yeah. not what you have to do. But a lot of people have been spending their time at home gardening. And someone asked me, hey, do you mind if we create a gardening channel? And I thought, do I mind? I need this information because I feel left out of being a gardener. You know? so <laughs> tell me, how you made, how you created your raised bed and what type of tomatoes I should plant because I learned that there's 40 different types and they all have different maturation dates, which is very meaningful and I don't understand it. So yes, absolutely. Give me all the team's information on your gardening group. Yeah. And I've killed 39 varieties. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we do some of that as well. Both down, you know, we get broken down a little bit in practice groups and then geographical locations and then also those sorts of personal interest groups. But I mean, Teams as a platform, not, this is not a Microsoft commercial, but you know, Teams as a platform, I think is actually really great. It has, some, it has a few little limitations to it that I think eventually they'll add in, but for internal stuff, especially it's, it's super useful. Yeah. And Teams certainly wasn't prepared for the quarantine and everyone working from home, they had a lot of feature releases planned that weren't ready for prime time. And they started rolling them out because people were demanding them. And they said, well, Zoom can do this, but my 
you know, the New York City School District banned Zoom and when they had security concerns a few months back. And so Microsoft swooped in and released a whole bunch of new features that they were looking for. Um, but really, they weren't, they weren't ready for this. And that's the, the balance of research and development and security. And some companies have different philosophies. Zoom really did invest a ton in features and didn't pay as close attention as they should have to locking down their security, whereas Microsoft is very security focused and they also have a captive market. And so, you know, if, if you're already a Microsoft 365 client, an office paying subscribing client, then you get Teams, depending on your subscription level, you, you have that included already. And so they were sitting idly somewhat and thinking, oh, well, we have all these users will just add features when when they're good and ready mm-hmm. and then the entire world population was working from home and they thought we better hurry it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they did a pretty good job i think and i think i mean all these platforms are just going to continue to improve because i'm sure also through this process they're getting a mountain load of feedback that they weren't getting before So, you know, it's going to take time, I'm sure, for them to really process that information and then have it manifest itself into improved features and improved functionality. I speculate, I should say, since I don't know, I have no inside track whatsoever. So what about then, what about the idea of if a company, say, started today versus three months ago, what do you think would be the differences between that company three months ago and the company today? Well, not only thinking about, you know, a rent payment, a lease, an office is optional at this point, um, which never would have, for a traditional business, you never would have thought of, oh, you know, maybe I don't need a storefront um, to be considered a legitimate business. Um, so there's, there's that whole section, that whole part of the conversation, and as well as thinking about the risk involved And uh, there's a lot of research on great businesses that come out of down economic times or stressful times, and necessity is the mother of invention. But in terms of technology, we're seeing the hardware and software companies really come to the table with solutions that they're getting really creative and offering things an office in a box, a user in a box, uh, hardware as a rental, which is incredibly valuable. And it allows for businesses to be a lot more dynamic in their decision-making and not have to invest upfront in a new business that they, they probably are, most likely they don't have a ton of capital, or if they do, then they're borrowing money. And they're thinking about every dime that they spend. And so instead of buying a server and buying 10 workstations and all the network infrastructure that goes along with it, access points, you can shift a lot of that to a rental and pay over time for that and expand or contract on demand and with your network infrastructure as well. And Also distributing, not only distributing your workforce, but distributing your expenses to your workforce. You're not paying air conditioning costs in the hot summer for those staff. They're they're paying that because they're at their homes. And your insurance rates are lower because you don't have humans in an office. You don't have an office potentially. So there's a lot more flexibility, a lot more creativity available than there ever was before. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It also makes sense. Well, I I can only speak from my own experience. So again, I went from a very traditional white shoe, old style law firm to this basically tech company law firm. And one of the things that really sold me on the switch, because it took me a while to really buy into the idea that I could work in a distributed model or I could work in a virtual platform without necessarily having a physical hard Uh, location. But one of the things that kind of flipped for me was like, well, wait a second, if we have a virtual platform, then it also means that if we ever need to add pieces to the platform, they can be anywhere. Uh, You know, they don't have to be tied to somebody who is physically able to drive every day 
to a very particular location at the right time of day and then return to their home and do that five days a week, right? Like that, that model, once you have a basically a cloud-based platform, that goes out the window immediately. And now uh, your ability to, to add team members is expanded basically on a global basis. Obviously, there are limitations to that. But practically speaking, at least it expands it outside of your city limits and maybe expands it outside of your state boundaries. And it really opens things up. So I think there's some, some flexibility that goes with it too, where, as you say, if you have if you're renting or you're, you, you don't own subscriptions or you don't own hard assets, it's a lot easier to just start adding on top of your little platform and expanding when you need to, and then contracting when you need to, too, because you're not, you're not losing money by reducing the amount that you're renting. You're just reducing the amount. As long as there's enough flexibility in the contract, you're reducing the amount that you're renting. You're saving costs as you're contracting. Yeah. And another advantage, if you're starting a new business... You don't have to reinvent anything. So now, as you said, a lot of businesses are realizing you can hire anyone anywhere. If they're the best person for the job, it doesn't matter if they're, if we're not in our offices, it doesn't matter if you're in the same town or if you're across the country. So for new businesses, well, for, for our business, we've been hiring through the last three months and we've had a a lot of different opinions on how it would be to hire someone when no one's in the office. And overwhelmingly, it's gone great. And we were able to fold these people into our culture and using all of our technology and our communication tools, we're able to show them how to do the job and who we are as a company and how we like to work. But that was already a a part of our culture as a company. If, if you're a traditional company, like you said, where you're going in at the same time every day and you're leaving at the same time every day, it's a new process and a new procedure. You have to reinvent your hiring process. But a new business, that can be how they start. Right, yeah. From my perspective, it's a lot easier to start with that platform than to back into it. Largely because you have large fixed costs that are not easy to get out of. So, you know, maybe you have a, a big long-term commercial lease on a building. Well, it's hard to just break that lease and then go straight to a virtual or distributive model. So it's a lot easier to start out in it than to do the reverse. So I think my anticipation is that the more quote unquote traditional, and of course, traditional means like three months ago, you know, remember three months ago, how the world used to work? Like that model, it's not just going to vanish overnight when all the stay-at-home orders are totally lifted because it's just too hard to get out of that model and straight into a virtual model. You're going to have this hybrid model where you're going to maintain the traditional model because you have to, and you're going to have added in the technological capacity to do the virtual thing. And people are going to do this kind of halfway in, halfway out thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a number of our clients that we talked to that were already planning unwinding all of the remote access that they have provided to their staff. And we've had comments such as this employee prints paychecks. What am I going to have them print paychecks in their living room? And there are limitations to working from home. And some companies have been able to successfully engineer and architect a solution that is secure enough without sacrificing productivity. But like you said, it comes, it definitely comes at a cost and it's much easier to do starting from the beginning than to work backwards. Yeah. That's such a great example too. I haven't received a paper paycheck for, I don't know how long. I don't recall the last paper paycheck I received. That's how long it's been. But I know some companies are very wedded to you know, printing out that paper check every single month for everybody. Um, or even or even paying bills. Um, yeah. The person that receives the checks, we, we receive our payments from our clients primarily via check. And the person that receives those was leaving them for three days to decontaminate in the beginning of all this so that she reduced her risk of getting something from the mail. And 
I have to be supportive of that with a lack of scientific evidence to the contrary. And so all of our accounts receivable, I mean, three days isn't going to do anything to your business, but it's certainly a consideration. Plus she's at home. So, you know, going into the office, getting the checks and then leaving them for 72 hours and then coming back to deposit them. And so we've moved a lot of our clients to finally, you know, this, this again has helped us move our clients to paying um, without a paper check. Yeah. And you're right. Obviously there are, there are businesses that just cannot go fully virtual. That's just not, you know, if you have a warehouse, you have a warehouse. If you have to go do site visits for a client or a customer like Obviously, you have to physically go there or any other reason that you just can't possibly push a thing to a virtual context. There's going to be a limitation. It's, I think it's going to be more considering what if, you know, if you're in one of those industries, what element of your business can be kind of chopped off and pushed into a virtual model if that is a better model for that little piece of the business. And people are going to have to just think real long and hard about it. Or not, you know, or they'll just do whatever they want. But I, I just, I think there's going to be an expectation that businesses will be considering those sorts of moves in the future that didn't exist three months ago, which again, is just crazy. But yeah, three months ago, I don't think that was an expectation. I think now it's the expectation. When I like how you brought up too, Allison, like just this point of being creative, like this really has given people the opportunity to think, wow, okay, I've always kind of wanted to do it this way. And this obviously has forced us to do it this way. And now how can we better our business in, in these different methods? And like Brent and I were saying, we were talking earlier, you know, with, as, as estate planning attorneys, we have a very personal job. We, we see our clients. We have to execute the documents in person because we need witnesses and the structure for doing that virtually is not there yet. And so it's like, okay, well, how, you know, we're not going to the office so we can meet our clients at their home, which we've learned is a lot more comfortable for them. It's a lot less intimidating, more, it's easier for the clients just to be able to stay home and we come to them and, you know, in today's world coming to them at a very safe distance at their patios. But it's definitely made you think that, Hey, we could do things in a completely different manner. And these ways can be a lot better for our clients in the long run. So uh, Allison, so you brought up security. We were talking about Zoom or you were talking about Zoom and you mentioned security. So why don't we get into that a bit of if you have a business that is using technology heavily or they're relying on technology heavily or they're, they're going to a distributive model, you know, what are the security issues? What are the options that they have? And then what we were kind of talking about at the very beginning, or maybe I was talking about at the very beginning of this, like, the, the add-on to that of access, you know, locking people out, but then also having access and then balancing the two. So planning ahead is always ideal. And what we've seen in the past three months is people were caught without a plan. And so what we're seeing now in people's, in our clients and um, businesses distributed workforces is a mix of business grade, best in class, security configurations, and this is the best we can do. We need to maintain a level of productivity. So we've seen businesses who have their remote employees using their personal devices, which of course is always the worst case scenario. But if there's a worldwide laptop shortage and your capable and ready and willing employee has a laptop at home, well, you know, it's, it's a business decision that it's better to be connected and less secure than completely unproductive and dead in the water. So we're, we're seeing a lot of that now. And this is an opportunity to plan and configure solutions for the future. And whether that's going back to the office, just like it was before and planning for the next time something like this may happen, or changing the way that you have your workforce connect and work from wherever they are. And so there's a, there's a number of different ways that it can be configured, but we recommend considering who needs access, where they are, 
and what that means. So if who needs access and where they are is they're at the office and all of your technology infrastructure is also at your office, that's a pretty straightforward answer. If you have people who need access and they have certain access at the office and then when they go home, they need a different kind of access, it becomes more complicated. Or if they need the same access and they go to multiple different places, it adds another layer of complexity. So what we recommend is really drawing it out like a schematic, so to speak, or you can use your organizational chart and say, these people need these things at these places. And then talking to your technology professional, your, if you have an IT company or an in-house technology expert and saying, how can I make this work in the most secure way possible? And there's always a balance of security and usability. A typical small business is typically not dealing with NSA level security requirements, but everyone in their business deals with personal information, client data. A lot of clients deal with HIPAA information, and there's a lot of requirements around financial information as well. So regardless of what type of information you have, you have to protect it because your reputation is on the line. Um, so maximizing your security configurations while not crippling your workforce and, and allowing them to get things done. Yeah, but I think that is a good point. I mean, for us, we have different security requirements depending on the type of client too. So if we're receiving personal information, there are HIPAA concerns, you know, kind of health type information. There, there are HIPAA concerns with that. Uh, if you're doing If you're doing work with a bank, the banks have different requirements of you and how you maintain their file than just a run of the mill, not a bad way, but a run of the mill client who walks in off the street. And you know, if you don't have the, at least for us in our industry, if you don't have the technological infrastructure to accommodate clients with different demands on you in that security or in, in terms of security, then you're kind of dead in the water. You can't do work for the, you're going to have to turn people away basically because you can't, A, they'll have requirements that you can't meet and they won't, won't hire you or B, uh, you probably haven't met an ethical standard of care for them. And that's always a dangerous place to be in. And it also could become so cumbersome for you to have to navigate. That's a, another business decision. Your firm is has an expertise in customization of different access. It's a tech company that's also a law firm. Some companies may say that's above what we're willing or able to do, and we're, we're not going to take that kind of a client. We can't meet that kind of standard. And that's another discussion and conversation to have. You really can't get behind in, in terms of the philosophy of different types of access or the budget, because at the end of the day, the different types of access and configuration and security, it all has a price. So how do you, how do you help clients navigate that? Is it, is it helping them to map out exactly what their needs are and then building options for them that'll meet those needs? Yes, there are some standard industry best practices and a lot of clients we work with are small and mid-sized businesses that provide professional services. And so a lot of those businesses need a lot of the same things and have a lot of the same concerns. So we have standards that it's a, a conversation starter, so to speak, where we'll say this is our standard recommendation and we can go from here and ask questions about how their unique situation or the way that they do business or the applications that they use may create some customizations. But in general, there are some standards that are straightforward, reasonably straightforward to roll out if all of the necessary software and hardware applications are in place. Got it. So is that where you tend to start is you start with what is this, the typical standard of practice and then, and then expand or contract from there? Yes. And sometimes they end up getting talked out of an idea that they had. So sometimes uh, we'll start a conversation with, I want to go fully cloud. And we'll say, what does cloud mean to you? What 
do you want to accomplish? And how will this help your business? Did you hear at a dinner party that cloud is the next big thing and you want to jump on the bandwagon? Or did you really do research and you know that this is going to help your business, this will help your business be more productive or help your clients in a bigger, better way? Um, so that's how we start and ask a lot of questions and then create a solution based on how we can help their business be successful. And it all comes back to what drives us is empowering businesses through technology. So getting the technology out of their way, but our expertise is having it transform from a nuisance to a tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So let's, let's talk about that then, getting it to be a tool. How, how then once they, uh, you know, a business has decided this is the system that we're going to use, then how do you recommend they roll that out and then get, because they have to get their team on board and understanding it, obviously, otherwise the technology is not going to work. There's the approach that I like to recommend is tell them what's coming, tell them again, tell them again, roll it out, explain it, tell them what happened, explain it again, do a training, tell them again, see how they're doing. (laughs) that's a lot of tell them again so I I like it because really anything new is going the first three times you tell them they're going to say but I like the way we do it now and to get buy-in is the hardest part of any organizational change so and that's a, a big decision point for a lot of the executives, business owners, leaders that we talk to is, man, it's this change is going to be so hard for our organization. And especially now that everyone is, you know, we can't have a big meeting in our conference room and everybody get on board with it. And we'll also have bagels that's not happening right now. And so we help make that shift a lot easier with providing training and a shoulder to cry on as needed. Um, but also taking one step at a time. So if you're going from an in-office to a distributed workforce or an on-premise environment to a cloud-based environment, choose one thing at a time. So we recently had a client that had all of their infrastructure in their office, and they wanted to completely start fresh and do 100% cloud. And we first said why, and then they told us, and it was uh, a great business case. And so we designed the solution for them and plotted out the timeline and started with the most critical system that runs their business and made sure that if that was changing, then everyone would know what the changes were. And then if, um, if the system was changing, but also the access, the way that people were going to access that was changing, that's two changes and we can't do them at the same time. Um, so we rolled it out pretty slowly and then um, it probably took a, a number of months and um, adding on things in, term, in order of the most critical to the most annoying or most cumbersome um, and non-critical at the end. And so what we ended up doing was the, the, the biggest annoyance or the thing that they thought their staff would have the most trouble with was adding on multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. Multi-factor authentication has gotten a lot easier to use. In the last year, it used to be just a non-starter. No, forget it. I'm not doing that. No one's going to be able to log in. and It's going to be a disaster. It's come a long way and it's much easier to use today than it was a year ago. But there's still a little bit of that PTSD, so to speak, of I've tried this before and it went terribly and no one could log in on Monday morning. So that's the last thing that we added at the end. And by the time they went through the whole process of completely changing their entire IT infrastructure, multi-factor at the end was a piece of cake. That's so funny. That's a really, that's a great sales tactic, you know. To, to give somebody the worst thing right up front so that when you give them the thing you want them to take, it seems way better. That's brilliant. I mean, I've been in our industry, I've been through a bunch of different uh, technological changes. The one that for us seems to rub people really wrong 
is when we change billing softwares, and I know this is like, seems like really petty, small, like who really cares as long as it actually records what you're billing the client and then that gets billed to the client and hopefully they pay you so your business continues. But like changing billing software always makes people, lawyers, we're talking about lawyers here, but makes people in our industry upset in some way. There's always some function about it they don't like and they don't want to change it. I get so. that one. I get that one. <laughs> We're just so used to clicking one button and having it a certain way every day. We're just so ingrained by just, you know, every six minutes, this is how it's, how it's going to work. And this is how I submit it. And just one little change. It's, yep. It's a lot. It's a lot for people. <laughs> it's, you gotta, you gotta rewire habits just because you net, you know, you now have a new technology, you have a new software, you got to rewire ha habits very much along the lines of, you know, if you have to do multi-factor authentication, and you're used to just jumping straight in, it's a little jarring to think, well, wait a second, I have to reply to an email or a text, or I got to get a code and I got to type my code in. I never had to do that before. And it's going to take more time. And I just used to be able to jump straight in. And I don't want to waste all my time doing this stuff. Like I can see, like until you build that habit up and it's second nature, it'd be a big change. Yeah, exactly. And then as far as training goes, do you, do you usually help the clients if they have IT in, in office to do the training, you know, you guys team up or do you usually come in and do the training for them? And then, and then do you do follow up on the training? Yeah, we have something that's built into all of our projects and it used to be called morning after support, but a lot of people did not like that name. So now we call it day one support. So day one, that's your, probably better. Yeah. Day one yeah. of your new project, software, solution, whatever it is, um, we will be there holding your hand, getting you through, signing in the new way that the first 10 times you're going to hate it and then it's going to be fine. Um, so there is a lot of emotional support in technology. People don't like change and it's very overwhelming, um, but that's why we hire who we hire. We have a team of people. They're not what I think people think of with the stereotypical engineer sitting in a dark room with a hoodie, just typing away. They do, some of them like to sit in a dark room with a hoodie and just type away, but they're also lovely and personable and really love helping people. Um, and we're in a problem business, right? You don't get a phone call that says, everything's working, thank you so much, just wanted to call and say hi. Um, but doctors are also in a problem business and lawyers, um, you know, you don't typically get a phone call that says, no one sued me. Just thanks so much for being there just in case. It's really when someone needs something, that's when you get that call. And so having a team of people ready to answer those stressed, worried uh, phone calls makes a big difference. But I can't remember what, what you asked, though. You asked a question. Well, no, I think you, I, you answered it. I think other than the, the bit where I, I asked when you do the training, say, initially, training do you, you know, if the business, say, has their own IT folks, but you're just going to, you're kind of helping them, do you just come in, team up with them, do the trainings together? So you're just amplifying their capacity, or do you just come in and do the training hundred percent. It's just you. Yeah, we do. For training, we do a little bit of a mix of things depending on what the client needs. If they have their own in-house IT, we'll follow their lead and assist as needed. And if we are their IT department, outsourced IT department, then we'll have a plan beforehand and it's all part of the project to assist as they direct us. And then we also have separate training programs. So looping back to the access uh, versus security conversation, training is important in that as well. So giving someone access is great, but if, until they know what to do with it and know how to log in from a new place in a new way, they're really just not going to be as productive and they'll probably be very frustrated. So we saw that a lot in the beginning with, okay, now we have this Teams meeting. Now we have this Zoom meeting. Okay, well, wait, hold on a second. I need to download it and the firewall is not letting me download it. 
and I'm at my house and so I don't understand what settings I need to change or my Wi-Fi's um, configuration is, is off and creating all sorts of frustration. So there's training um, in the normal course of business and then there's also training platforms, security awareness training and gaining knowledge in what to click on, what not to click on, um, best practices, what to look for and how to be really vigilant, especially in a, in a distributed workforce where there's a lot of aspects out of the control of the employer. You know, no one, if I was employed, my employer cannot control my children coming into my home office. I certainly can't control that. So my employer's not going to be able to. So addressing all of those things uh, is important in that conversation of training and policy development. So I was wondering from the, the legal perspective, have you seen policy and procedures change based on the distributed workforces? Are businesses changing their policies to limit or protect themselves from their staff who may be out of their control? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't speak for every firm, obviously, but I think the, the main way that you control for those issues is Number one, especially on the staff side of things, it's a little bit it's a little bit less so with Rachel and I because we're we're both practicing lawyers and so we're, we're kind of keyed into those issues. But understanding that okay, the information that I'm pulling up is confidential information, and so this is not information that I can just pull up at the kitchen table with a thousand people walking by. Right, this is something that needs to be done in in, in relatively controlled environment, and then having systems that have security access built into it so that not anybody can just get into the system. So, you know, you can't, you know, nobody else in my family can access my computer system because it's locked down with keys that I, that I know and they don't know and they can't get in. And then when I'm off quote unquote off site, not at my house, then I also use a VPN so I'm not just relying on somebody else's internet connection wherever I am. I'll layer in a VPN just to be double sure that I've got an extra layer of security from that front as well. And then different applications that we use have multi-factor authentication. Some of them you'd have to authenticate every time you use it. And some of them will just periodically require you to, to authenticate. So, you know, maybe every two months. You can't just get into the system. Even if you know all the little keys to get into the computer, you can't even get into the system until you've gone through the authentication pro, pro, process. I almost said process. I was talking to my Canadian friend today. You know, until you've gone through that authentication process again, uh, you can't get into your applications, even though you knew all the security keys to get into the computer to begin with. So just those sorts of things we, we're doing on a rolling basis. Good job. A plus. <laughs> a plus. All right. Good for us. I've heard that a lot of other um, firms, what they've been doing too, especially dealing with the issue of like children and having your family members at home all the time. And you know, some people don't have the luxury of having your own home office. Where you can shut the door. So I've heard um, a lot of attorneys are doing just like early morning or late evening shifts. So just waking up, maybe plugging away 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. Then, okay, the kids are up, the family's up. I can't really keep confidentiality at this point. So then it's all right. Wait till everyone goes to bed. Maybe, you know, 8 p.m., plug away a few more hours kind of thing. So I think, yeah, everyone's kind of adapting on how do we keep our information secure still when we're may not just, you know, if we're just sitting on our living room couch or on our dining room table having to do a day-to-day -day business. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think security is always a concern. It's always going to be a concern that's just not going to go away. That's just part, at least for us, it's part of our industry. And I think for most people who have a business, again, that does things in a proprietary way, security is going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. Well, Allison, I uh, can't thank you enough for helping us out and teaching us. I know yeah. I learned a lot. That was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. How can people find you should they want to do so? You can reach me on my office line, which is 520-903-1580 or by email, aduffy at silveradotech.com. All right. Excellent. A is an apple. 
And, and Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopeful, hopefully we'll reconnect soon. Always a pleasure. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.